1: Sports Station, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
2: And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. Great to have you along for two hours of baseball talk here from 9 to 11 on your Saturday morning. Alongside Bruce Levine I'm Mike Esposito in for David Haw today. And Bruce, good morning. And uh, not a lot of offense at all last night on the south side.
3: Mike, if I would have told you uh, 30 runs were being scored on uh, the south side before the game yesterday, you would have continued to think what you've thought for many years, and I'm crazy. <laughs> and uh, it was a, uh, a wild night uh, with a, a, a full house on the south side, and uh, the idea that uh, the White Sox continue to move toward uh, clinching a position in the playoffs, and the Cubs uh, continue to find out who will help them moving forward in their retooling of 2022 and beyond, Mike.
2: Absolutely. Uh, We will talk about everything Crosstown uh, today here on the show. Uh, Bruce and I are pleased to welcome Boog Shambi and Jason Benetti, both of your TV broadcasters for each of your teams. White Sox, Cubs will be joining us uh, during the show here today. And and plenty of good last night uh, for the White Sox, Bruce, and uh certainly offensively, lots of good. But let's actually start with the bad because really there was only one guy who pitched well last night and that's Ronaldo Lopez, and we'll get to him. But the starting the guy, the, the guy who started the game for the White Sox and has to be one of their uh major areas of concern as we head into September here is Dallas Keuchel, who has
3: been roughed up lately. Uh the last ten starts, uh ERA over seven, not good. Um uh, Dallas is a proud, important pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, Mike. But uh, the um, defense and defensive shifting, along with uh, three or four very poor pitches, uh, had him ending up six runs down mm-hmm. before he knew it. And out by the second batter of the second inning, we're uh, in a real wonky situation. Uh, was Tony Larusa coming out with an all-one pitch. Po- uh, Count on Patrick Wisdom to take him out uh, in the second inning. It was just, uh, you know, a nightmare for um, Keuchel. Mike, who did, who chose, who's always a stand-up guy, but chose not to talk after that game yesterday. We were told by uh, White Sox Media Relations that uh, he will talk today before the game. You can understand emotionally uh, that this was his worst start in in his history. Mike, mm-hmm. earliest he's ever come out of a game. As a starter, so you can imagine uh, the tension was high for him uh, on on many different levels, and uh, not certainly not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to call out teammates, and not facing the fact that this has been a really bad stretch for him.
2: Right, and if you were late settling into the game last night, uh, you know Keuchel gives up six in the first, five of them earned on seven hits, and as Bruce mentioned, you know not all his fault, but certainly. Uh, if you were a little late getting your TV and you had the Cubs six uh, nothing after half of an inning, uh, as Bruce said, you would have thought we cr- we were crazy here. Uh, but the Sox then one in the one in the uh, bottom of the first, and then an eight spot in the third, uh, which really kind of vaulted them back in there. And, and we haven't even mentioned, and we will now, uh, the return of Yasmani Grandal, and really talk about returning with a bang, huh, Bruce?
3: Yeah, eight RBIs, uh, two home runs and a double, two three-run homers. It was, you know, just another crazy offensive night and a nightmare for pitchers, including Cubs starter uh, Keegan Thompson, who just, uh, from the beginning, uh, just didn't have much out there. You know, normally, Mike, he's a 95 to 97-mile-an-hour pitcher. He was uh, constantly uh, sitting at 92, 93. He really didn't have good stuff last night, and it was just... Uh, something that the White Sox certainly capitalized on rather quickly from the second and into the third inning. So uh, a, a tremendous night for for fans out there to watch offense, if that's what you like, because you saw plenty of it. And then, as you mentioned, Mike, uh, moving toward Lopez and uh, five perfect innings, which set the uh, White Sox up to be able to hold off the, the Cubs, who started uh, you know, in a terrific way off. Uh, getting their offense to take over the rest of that game. It was a bizarre game. It was um, a a rough situation all the way around for pitching. But Lopez certainly has put himself in the spotlight as an important pitcher for the Chicago White Sox in 2021. And going back to spring training when he was fighting uh, uh, Carlos Rodon for the fifth spot, if you remember, um, most of the spring uh, and lost out, this is a much different picture now than what we saw before, and he, honestly, if you look at his numbers in minor leagues where he's been here, uh, and it hasn't been impressive, but he talked a little bit about, you know, finding it when he's come back here, and he's been an important yep. guy for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was their best starter a few years back. Uh, he lost his way a little bit, and you mentioned even in the minors this year, not the sharpest, but... Five perfect innings in a, a pinch last night uh, in relief of Keuchel. Huge going forward, certainly huge for last night and picking up the win. And, and let's go to tape for a second here, Bruce, because Rick Hahn talked before the game, and he talked about everything right now as we sit here on August 28th. Everything that the Sox are doing right now is about that postseason. Well, again, for the next month, the focus is going to be on winning the division, getting everyone healthy and getting everyone in the best position to succeed for October. In terms of the preparation, when Tony originally referenced wanting to start going into a somewhat of a postseason process in terms prepare for opponents i was interested to see you know how that was exactly going to change and because quite frankly over the previous several months it had been a pretty darn good process as well uh but he was right and and the team responded and the amount of work that went into preparing for each of the opponents did ramp up some and i think uh like i said a couple times now uh is going to serve us well here over the over the coming months So, Bruce, as as you look ahead, and it's not really that far. I mean, the lineup, hey, it looks a heck of a lot better with Grandal, Luis Robert, and Aloy Jimenez, who've also recently come back from injuries. Look at that. I mean, that lineup, that looks like the lineup they had intended all along. Obviously, the injuries derailed it. But you look at starting pitching. You look at pitching in general for the postseason. uh, And Keichel, a guy you signed to a big free agent deal to kind of be one of those guys, is now maybe on the outside looking into any postseason starts.
3: They have a lot of uh, pleasant problems to deal with, including getting their bullpen into a situation where it looks like the dominant group of guys that they have on paper. I mean, that that has been a bizarre part of the 2021 White Sox, Mike. You have these tremendous names with tremendous resumes out there, and you have had... Just um, maybe some consistency, but not exactly what people expected of what uh, many people in baseball believe to be the most dominant group of names in the game in a bullpen. And, uh, you know, finding the the right area and the right consistency for uh, Keuchel is probably going to uh, – not Keuchel, I'm sorry, Kimbrell – is probably going to yep. be the name of the game uh, going down to the end here. I mean, you have Tapura, you you have Bummer. Uh, you have Marshall on the men coming back. Uh, you you have uh, you know Hendricks, who has uh, blown uh, six or seven uh, saves, uh, but has looked uh, terrific at most of the time of the year. So you have a yep. you have a lot of getting uh, people used to. And you know when you get to the playoffs, you're not going to have five starters. You're going to have three, maybe four. Right. Uh, yep. And uh, you know deciding and paring that down. That that's going to be the charge of the team. But in reality, Mike. These are great problems to have, aren't they?
2: Great problems to have, and I, and I did not mention yet, but Kimbrell. So Kimbrell comes in with the game 17-10, to 10, pitches the ninth. Uh, but another shaky one, right? He gives up three earned, the the home run from Hap, uh, two hits, a walk. He did strike out two batters. But after it looks like he may have found himself, and then, you know, I mean, listen, and I said it off the top, nobody but Lopez pitched well last night on either team. But Kimbrell gave up three runs in his one frame, and he is definitely still still searching as he's uh, made his way to the south side. Still, uh, He hasn't found that first-half magic that he had with the Cubs.
3: Mike, I don't care what anyone tells you. From my experience, and take it for what it's worth, some people you know, do, some people don't. I, I get it. But from my experience, when you bring in a dominant closer from somewhere else and try to find the proper role for him, The mentality changes for the pitcher. The stuff doesn't change, but the the way that he goes about it, the adrenaline that he uh, brings—that is an eighth inning compared to a ninth inning—it's different. I'm sorry. I mean, it just is. Uh, And 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 Kimbrel's the same quality pitcher he was, blowing away the National League, being without question the best pitcher in the National League as far as closing goes by far all year long. Actually. From last September on, he was lights out. I mean, the the guy was just terrific. And people will say, well, he wasn't closing all last September, and that's true. He, w- he was finding his mechanics again. He was starting to be able to con- uh, command the breaking ball, therefore and people not sitting on the fastball and able to use the fastball out of the zone to get a lot of swings and misses. So uh, he's he was back to being the, the dominant pitcher in baseball that he was. When the when the Cubs signed him and imagined him being that uh, back in 2019, but going in that eighth inning and just not being the man, I don't I don't care what people tell you, it's different. And he has had some success lately, and and why not? He's a terrific pitcher, but I'm telling you, uh, finding that role, the proper role for him, is one of the biggest situations for the Chicago White Sox moving into the playoffs, and I. I'm not telling you that's a bad situation. It's a, it's a great situation the White Sox are in. They just have to find that comfortability level for him to be successful there most of the time.
2: Right, and, and let's face it, right? They're 10 games up in their division. They will win the Central. It's just a question of when. But they have all this time, and you heard the cut we played from Rick Khan. Get ready for the playoffs, not just physically, mentally, slotting guys in the bullpen, things like that. And I think the nice thing that the White Sox have working for them, and, and La Russa has certainly been, uh, he's taken his share of criticism for certain things throughout the, the course of, of this season. But one thing, historically, he's a Hall of Fame manager, that he's been good at as a manager is use of the bullpen and really trying to find uh, Kimbrell's spot there, I think you would hope, would be something that uh, he would be able to do before the end of the season here.
3: Not only that, but the the communication level. You know, you saw, you know, when he had to come out a few uh, outings ago, and and the uh, discord between him and Larusa about you're taking me out after I just struck somebody out, uh, you're not letting me fi- finish the inning here. That was, uh, you know, something that Tony had to uh, deal with off of the field. That's something that Kimbrel <clears throat> didn't feel respected for uh, at that particular point in time. So there's there's a sensitivity issue about dealing with these uh, great players like Kimbrel as well, that's uh, that's not the easiest thing to manage. And, uh, you know, as a manager, and Lou as you pointed out, Mike, you know, 34 years, the Hall of Fame manager, the Hall of Fame doesn't help you out when you have these situations that come up. The only thing that helps you out is your experience as to how you've dealt with things like this in the past and uh, when it's not right, how to make it right moving forward. And that is... Uh, tremendous communication by La Russa and his coaches and sitting down and facing these guys eye-to-eye and face-to-face about situations that come up that don't satisfy everyone, Mike. You know, we live in an era right now where people want things explained to them five different ways before they understand what it is. Sometimes in baseball and in sports, you're not going to have time to do that until after the fact. And you're going to have to be the master uh, baseball person and the master psychiatrist or psychologist to be able to help uh, those people through those moments, yourself through those moments, and being able to move forward in a positive way. And that's been uh, some of the things that we've watched LaRussa do, uh, like he had done for thirty-three years before this. Unfortunately, it had been between it had been ten years in between the time he did it in 2011 and now with the White Sox in 2021 that he had to make these decisions and communicate with players again.
2: Yep, no question about it, Bruce. But And as you said, though, having Craig Kimball and trying to slot him into a bullpen that already features Hendricks, that right. is a good problem to have. Uh, and, and, you know, speaking of good, right, and we mentioned Yasmani Grandal, two homers, a total of four hits and eight RBIs in his return. And uh, Grandal, after the game, talked about uh, the big outburst
3: definitely not not
2: surprised um I, I i had a goal that i you know i mentioned to you guys um and i put in the work I and mean, that's pretty much it um and i wanted to get back on the field i knew um how important it was for me to get back on the field so yeah i mean i i, I was here you know, 12, 13 hours a day, always doing something, uh, making sure that that I was getting all the work that I needed,
1: and uh, to be able to go go to minor league rehab and be able to do what what I needed to do down there, so that I can get back up here.
2: And Bruce, you you talk about Grandal, and you know the batting average. Actually, after last night, the batting average just finally crept over 200 for the season. But he was a guy who, you know, average be darned. He was getting on base. His OPS is almost 900. He was hitting home runs and driving in runs before he's got hurt. Uh, so for all the, the, the press and the, you know, the publicity that some of the stars of the white Sox get Grandal is kind of one of those under the radar guys, but he's a guy who has been uh, a key cog for this lineup throughout the season.
3: I think uh, Mike, he's the most important offensive player and in some ways defensive too, because of uh, going back behind the plate along with uh, Zavallo right now, unfortunately, you know, meant that uh, Collins had to go back to the minor leagues after being with the team all year. That's an unfortunate part of the success and Grandal coming back from the injury. But uh, just uh, even though he's a switch hitter, Grandal's left-handed bat with all the right-handed hitters in the Chicago White Sox uh, lineup, I think, mm-hmm. is a key to an awful lot of success uh, in the postseason. I, I just think that uh, they keep him healthy. He fits in the middle of the order somewhere, breaks up those right-handed hitters that are significantly outstanding, if not working toward being a great group of right-handed hitters. And you could probably put a Brayu into that already, Jimenez uh, on the cusp of that. Um, you're going to get pitched to by the best pitchers and the best staffs in baseball. And w- when you have the left-handed bat of, uh, of Grandal uh, and uh, hopefully, Mancada, you know, moving toward being more like Mancada uh, of the 2019 version rather than the 2021. Hmm. That is going to be significant as to how many runs you can score, how deep you might be able to go in the postseason. Yep,
2: yeah, no question about it, Bruce. And and Abreu, you mentioned, and you know, Mr. Consistency sitting there betting third every night. He's got. 99 RBIs now on the season after last night. You talk about uh, a run producer. He is certainly that in a very high-scoring offense. Jimenez has been awesome since coming off of the injured list. Grandal, not a, not a, not a bad comeback for him last night. I mean, you know, that's uh, about as good as you can get. Uh, so certainly offensively, the Sox heating up. And we saw, listen, we saw the importance of Tim Anderson when he missed those few games earlier this week. And Tony La Russa actually talked about it. Um, you know, having him as that spark atop the lineup, it's a big deal for them.
3: As uh, Anderson goes, so go the, the White Sox offense. He is that important of a player uh, getting the energy going, getting those at bats going. Um, he is unconventional in his, the way he performs on offense, on defense, the way he moves to a different beat of a different drummer. But he's one of the best players in the game, and he is certainly a big part of the lifeblood of the Chicago White Sox. There's, there's just no question about it. We'll continue more talk White Sox, Cubs, everything you want uh, in Chicago baseball. Our number is 644 6767. He's Mike and Bruce. We'll hear for from you, for you uh, every week uh, on Saturday, uh, talking on Inside the Clubhouse. From 9 to 11. Mike, take it away. We'll be talking to John Shambi coming back.
2: Yeah, Boog will join us around 9.30. And as Bruce said, we will talk Cubs and Sox, both sides of this rivalry. We have more tape to play you from the Cubs side. We will do that uh, in a bit. But uh, when we return, more Crosstown Talk with Boog Shambi on Inside the Clubhouse here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
0: track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus,
1: original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv
0: to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
1: Lover last year, plus the bat, drilled to center. Hermosillo back, back some more. Reaches up, Hermosillo! Oh, baby, what a catch! Wow, that is a heck of a play.
2: And that the voice of our next guest on last night's game circus catch by Mark Michael Hermosillo as heard on marquee sports network Cubs though lose the White Sox 17-13 in the first game uh, of this weekend's crosstown classic Bruce we now head it out to the uh, score hotline sponsored by Circa Resort in Casino in Las Vegas home of the world's largest sports book.
3: That's right, Mike, and we bring in the voice of Cub Baseball on the Marquee Sports Network, our good friend John Boog Shambi joins us for a little chat here today. Uh, Boog, how do you uh, get your head around uh, 30 runs yesterday? How do you how do you walk out of there uh, without being uh, a little shook up from the offensive explosion on both sides?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? It was uh it was a lot, and uh, I mean, for the Cubs, it felt a lot like that game in Milwaukee earlier in the year, where they scored seven in the first and lost fifteen yeah. seven. It uh, look this is a White Sox team that can really score. I, I think you sort of break it all down into pieces, and you know, one of the things that I think about is, you know, Patrick Wisdom continues to show that. The power is real. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's been one of since he got called up the one of the premier power hitters in the game um, since the end of May. So there's that part of it, but you know, the White Sox can can get you in a number of different ways. Obviously, the big night was Grandal, and I think I think he's a pretty important piece for them because they are pretty right-handed. Um, you know, when you look at their lineup, so I feel like you know. To, to give them a little bit of balance. I don't think it's a huge deal, but I think ideally you'd like to have, you know, some of that balance and somebody from the left side, or, you know, in a, this case, a switch hitter, but somebody from the left side who's, who's feared a bit. So, but it was a lot, man. And it, uh, it was a lot.
2: Well, and, and Boog, you, you, you mentioned wisdom. And I just noticed uh, during the break there on Twitter, your teammate at Marquis, Tony Andracki. Uh, projects out wisdom on a one hundred and sixty two game pace for forty six homers. and it's like, holy cow. I mean, you know he's hitting for power. We've been watching the games, but you know, seeing it down on paper based off of a full season, that's that is. as you said, it's that's elite
1: power. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, again, you'd like to see the strikeout rate down. but I mean, and I'm not saying I think the better chance is to bring the strikeout rate down. Because, you know, when you're striking out 39% of your plate appearances, you know that's going to lead the majors. That's, that's too high. But, you know, if it, if it is going to come in the package of 46 homers, um, then you still probably can be out there a good amount. Because that's, again, that's big-time power. So we'll see. But I, I'm, I think it's pretty neat for a guy who just turned 30 yesterday to be getting this opportunity and to make the most of it the way he has.
3: Boog Shambi joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. We're here for you every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball. David Hall uh, taking a break this week. Mike Esposito sitting in. Boog, uh, that leads us to 2022 and beyond. I know we have uh, 30-some games left in 2021, but looking at the Chicago Cubs going forward, um, you know, I've been a, an observer of the team and reporting on it for almost 40 years I, I don't have a, a sense of where it's going to be uh, uh, in spring training or uh, the beginning of next year uh, give me give me some thoughts about where do you think this team might be going forward uh, from from what you've seen and what you hear
1: well I again I think there, there's sort of two things to keep in mind I will say that the part of it, that I'm probably most interested in is, you know, 23 is probably when, you know, it, it you, you would expect it to get a little more interesting. And I'm curious, are we watching anybody on this team that's going to be part of the next really good to great Cubs team? That's one of the questions I have, and I'm not sure. Um, as far as next year, it's pretty clear Rafael Ortega is a major league player and a guy that if there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound is capable of being in a lineup, I think probably in a corner outfield spot. Um, But I think he's, you know, he's shown value. And then, you know, Hermosillo makes the catch. He hits, you know, the Homer. He's a guy at 26. That's toolsy. You know, it's pretty wild. He he's played in parts now of four seasons. He doesn't even have 150 big league plate appearances. So he has right. not gotten an opportunity and he's got big tools. I mean, he's a guy that you're really interested in seeing. Okay, so what is this? And then I, I think Ian Happ is a, is another one that you're sitting there saying, okay, you'd like him to finish strong. You know he he has shown the ability to be a very good major league hitter, Um, you know, you'd like him to finish strong so that he sort of cements his place to begin next year. But, you know, I made this point yesterday. But then next year he also is going to need to start in a manner. I'm not saying, you know, go crazy, but he's got to start in a manner that's more consistent with, you know, what his career line is and what he's capable of.
2: Yeah, Boog, I think I think for me anyway, Hap is the biggest head-scratcher, right? Because last year when they won the division, Hap is one of your key offensive players. And as Bruce and I were talking about in the first segment of the show, you know, after last night, and, you know, another, another good night, uh, you know, he's put a string of them together here in August, but, you know, he's just finally climbing over 200 for the season. He has been hitting lately. He did hit his 16th home run yesterday. But to go from key offensive player last year to really struggling this year and it, and that's kind of been the story of his Cubs career. It's very it's very uh, maddening, I think is the word.
1: It's been up and down, there's no doubt. I mean, again, I think the one thing I would say, look, he's 27. This is about the time where you expect, you know, it to settle in. I mean, look, I mean, Bruce, you've been covering this a lot longer than I have, but I think the one thing that we're all always guilty of is that we always assume when you take guys that scouts and teams have put the label on as they have promise, they have talent, and then you wait to watch them develop, we always, always get tricked into thinking that the progression is going to be linear so that right. if guy that we say is going to be good hits 20 homers and looks pretty good, well, then the next year he should hit 23, and then the next year he should hit 26. And then the next year, he should hit 30. It doesn't necessarily happen that way. Sometimes it's 20 to 14 to 12 to 30, and they can become the player that everybody thinks they were going to be, but it's not in that just linear-type progression. So I I think, again, it's, you know, a guy that comes to mind for me that Cub fans are more than familiar with is Derek Lee. You know, Derek Lee, when he was in Miami, when I was down there, man, there were some ups and downs. And, you know, you guys saw Derek Lee turn into for a stretch, one of the better players in the league. So I I just think, you know, there's still time left for Ian Happ to show what he's capable of. It's frustrating for him. I know it's frustrating, you know, for us at times to, to watch, but, uh, You know, again, I think you
3: just kind of got to be patient with that. John Boog, Sean nice enough to take some time on a Saturday morning to talk to us and Inside the Clubhouse. And Boog, uh, when you look at your job and uh, coming to Chicago and uh, feeling a part of Chicago, uh, getting uh, used to living in the city during the summer, uh, continuing on with your ESPN job, how have things gone for you? Uh, obviously, you've seen the tale of two different teams with the Chicago Cubs right. so far, just like David Ross has, your good buddy. But um, how, how how have you felt uh, the uh, segue into being the, the main broadcaster for Cub baseball?
1: You know, it's funny. In all the years that I was coming here, I always appreciated it because there was such great passion. But I don't think I ever contemplated or, you know, Len – was the voice for 16 years and we would talk about it, but I don't know that I ever really asked him what it was like um, in doing the job as the voice. And I think it's, it's been really cool to try to, you know, every day be a little more part of the community and um, meeting people and just look, there's an importance to it. I, which I just love how much people care, you know, even in moments this season which over the, you know, since 2015, there's been a lot of success. And this year has been outside, um, you know, that stretch. So you're talking about even with, uh, you know, the lack of success at times of a fan base that's so special and passionate. I feel really lucky to be part of it. And as far as Chicago, yeah, I just, I love the city. Um, The people have been wonderful, and it's, it's felt like home kind of for, you know, from the start. And I'm, I mean, look, I'm a, a New York kid and I, but I, you know, I don't know that it just, it's always felt very familiar to me. And it's, it's really been, it's been enjoyable and getting to, you know, that, that the office is Wrigley Field is pretty neat.
2: Yeah, no doubt about that. Booga, we talked about Craig Kimbrell earlier in the show, and you know he gave up that home run to Hap last night. He's struggled a bit since coming to the White Sox. Now, you saw him absolutely dominate National League hitters in the first half of the season to the point where I think, and I think statistically, he was the best relief pitcher in the game uh, in the first half yes. of the season. What what do you make of the whole eighth inning ninth inning you know does that have something to do with how he's performing and and really the transition even though and he even said it you, you, he didn't have to move he's still in Chicago different team different clubhouse how do you put all that together for for Kimbrel on the White Sox
1: I don't know what to tell you I mean like look I, he you know he basically hadn't given up a run an earned run in the ninth inning before last night, so I, you know that, that's that's kind of hard to sustain. I'd also say this, like in my opinion, if you were doing it, if you were doing it uh, an evaluation, I think Craig probably should be the closer, and that's no disrespect towards I mean, based on what is what has taken place this year on track record, um, but that said, I think it's just something guys got to get used to, you know, like I I talk about that, you know, that closer centric model. Um, You just, you got to get out so that it's not, it's not like you, you just need good dudes down there. And, and so I don't know whether that's an issue for him, but, you know, I want as many guys that profile as high strikeout, you know, low to average walk rate as possible um, that are hard to hit. And they have two great ones. So I don't know what to tell you. There's got to be something real to it. I, I, You know, as much as, you know, I like it when, when the managers go and, 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 you know, don't necessarily use their closer. They use their closer, you know, in the highest leverage spot, you know, as opposed to the, the save-centric type closing. But – I think that Craig Kimber will end up being an asset for them. Um, you know, again, in, in these small little sample bursts, weird stuff can happen. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, again, if it bothers some guys, then it bothers them. But at some juncture, you just gotta. Your job is the same regardless. So that's to get out. So um, that's what you gotta do. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you you fix that one or. Or solve that one. I, I think that, you know, I would love to have a bullpen of, you know, eight elite-level closers and then you have that problem. I would hope that you could figure it out, you know what I mean?
3: Before you take off, Boogie, and again, Mike and I, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> um, give us a little bit about where Project Main Street is right now in uh, the fight against ALS. I appreciate it, pal.
1: Um, you know, it's funny. We're in Looking towards um, October, and we are doing an event and uh, fundraising effort um, just to help uh, people living with the disease. That's the focus of our charity, and then you know we start to plan honestly for you know next year Lou Gehrig Day again. Um, but it's yeah Project Main Street dot org. And every dollar goes to help somebody that's living with the disease. The average out-of-pocket cost for a patient with ALS is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So we try and help. And honor my friend Tim Sheehy. And um, yeah, that's that's what we've been doing since two thousand and six. So I appreciate you letting Boog, me get uh, that in there.
3: Absolutely, Boog. And uh, thanks for the time and friendship. It's been great to have you around all year round and look forward to seeing you out at the ballpark today thanks again for joining us
1: my pleasure bruce mike thanks
3: that's boog
2: shabby thank you boog from uh, cubs tv uh marquee sports network bruce and um great uh great to hear about uh the charity work that he's doing there and uh props uh, to you for letting him mention that as well but certainly uh, lots going on with the Cubs. And, you know, we didn't even really get to pitching, but we're going to get to pitching uh, next, I think, and talk a little bit about Keegan Thompson and some of the other Cubs starting pitchers and where they may fit in uh, going forward. Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, we have Cubs TV. We have to have Sox TV, right? Jason Benetti will join us uh, at the top of the next hour.
3: Looking forward to it. And, uh, again, our number is 312-644-6767. Open uh, Phone lines for you to join us next. This is Inside the Clubhouse on 670thescore.com.
0: Very poor. You know, with a six-run lead, it's unacceptable to go out there, not able to those strikes. There's no excuse. I think it was. I said the phone from the beginning on the mound for us tonight, and just a long night.
2: That was last night's starting pitcher for the Cubs, Keegan Thompson. It was staked a 6 nothing lead, as he mentioned, and then uh, proceeded to last only two innings, giving up five runs, for them earned. Uh, this is inside the clubhouse right here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. Alongside Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito in for David Haw today. Glad to be pinch hitting as always. Uh, and Bruce Thompson, uh, one of those guys that if you're you're looking for things to watch for the Cubs... Uh, in the last five or six weeks here of the season, heading into 2022, he is one of those guys, right? Starting pitching is a huge need. He's one of those guys with upside. uh, Last night, not his best.
3: Right, and and the young pitching, as you identified, Mike, is definitely what you want to look at. Uh, You want to get to Alzele certainly coming off of the IL and make a few more starts before the uh, season's over with you want to give uh, Steele uh, all the opportunity to expand out and start games, and uh, you know work his way up to 75, 80 pitches. You don't have to necessarily make it 100, but just uh, you know get out there for five innings and uh, get your feet wet as a starter, just like Thompson. So that that's really the the main emphasis for me. If you're watching Cub baseball the rest of the year, is um, the development of the younger pitchers, and then. Ma- making decisions, uh, you know uh, you know you have um, Mills who's pitching tonight under contract control still for next year. He's been a very valuable pitcher and a very selfless one who will go anywhere and do anything for you and pitch well. Uh, you know, trying to get the peripheral guys. Uh, do you want do you want to assign Davies to an extension just because he's a professional pitcher,'ll we'll go out there and give you a professional effort all the way. Uh, to go along with uh, Hendricks, who's going to lead the staff. There are uh, a lot of question marks, but getting those young pitchers moving as starting pitchers, uh, I think that's that's the key for them moving forward here this next month.
2: No doubt. And, Bruce, a lot of text coming in. And our text line brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time and shop online at RosenHyundai.com. 312-644-6767 is our phone number, also the text line. Uh, and the texter... Uh, adroitly points out that the development of the pitching, and we've heard Jed talk about this, that the development of pitching has really been their Achilles heel. This texture goes back to Zimbrano, Wooden, Pryor being the last pitchers that uh, the Cubs developed in their farm system. And I'm, I'm racking my brain here. And Hendricks came over in a trade.
3: Um, it, it's been a while. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think you have to give the Cubs some credit because uh, Hendricks came over in a trade. But he was basically developed in the farm system. He was the pitcher of the year in their minor league system in 2013 before he was uh, pushed up to uh, the major leagues in 2014. Okay. So, so they, they have to get credit for it. They, they get some credit for developing Contreras and uh, for Baez, even though uh, they were signed by uh, Jim Hendry's people and O'Neary Flito, who was the uh, uh, developmental uh, guy and the head of the minor leagues. Uh, for Baez and Contreras. But uh, the, the Cubs uh, present uh, people, you know, including Jason McLeod and, uh, and uh, Jed Hoyer, they, they have to get credit for uh, developing these people too because they were in the system. So uh, you're right. We talk an awful lot about the fact of what the texter said that they haven't developed starting pitching since uh, back in the early 2000s as far as uh, real viable guys. But uh, it's not like they were standing still. They they still get some credit for uh, some of these guys making it here. And hopefully, uh, when you're looking at the Steels and you're looking at uh, the Thompsons and you're looking at the Alzales, you're going to see the next breed of uh, solid starting pitchers coming up the chain for the Cubs.
2: No doubt about it. And and obviously Theo and Jed were concentrating and they they strategized to take hitters up high. And we saw that team win a World Series. So. No doubt about it, and we'll get back to the Cubs in a second, Bruce. But when we return, we're going to shift over to the south side. We talked to Boog, we have to talk to Jason Benetti. White Sox TV play-by-play man Jason Benetti is our guest next here on Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.